Welcome to the Take 92 Podcast. My name is Sammy Warmhands. I am your host. And today is our fourth annual Top 10 Albums of the Year, 2019 edition. You might hear my cat tearing up shit in the background because he is as excited as I am to go through all the best music, in my opinion, that came out this year. And I have learned from the past, and I'm going to make my honorable mentions just that. Mentions. All right, so here is the best of 2019. We're just going to skim over a few things that I've heard or haven't really got the chance to hear enough, and then we'll get to the top 10, okay? So first off, this hasn't been released in proper format yet, which is going to be a recurring item here on the list, but um, I saw in theaters Metallica S&M 2, and it was the 20th anniversary of their original show with the San Francisco Symphony, originally conducted by Michael Kamen. They did a whole new show, shared some of the same songs, did a bunch of new songs, and I got to see it in the theater. They haven't released it yet, which is why it's just on my honorables here. But, uh, man, it was it was really a great experience. The band was in top form, and the stuff was especially lyrically resonant because James was so pitch perfect. He was so good. You know, he's singing these songs that have such weight, talking about addiction and struggle, and only days later checked back into rehab for the first time in, like, 15 years. So it was... Uh, a really great performance, and it also had a lot of uh, emotional resonance to me personally because of that. So I'm going to talk about a couple of albums that just came out that I pre-ordered and everyone else is listening to, but I am not. I'll tell you why. Two of my favorite artists, Billy Corgan and Brother Ali. Now, they don't really have much in common other than I've been listening to them both for a couple of decades now. I hold them in high regard as songwriters, but they both just dropped new solo albums out of the blue, and they are streaming everywhere. But the guys like me who pre-ordered the physical copy, uh, we're not going to get it till January. So I have skimmed through the Brother Ali one twice on the download I got. I have not got to hear any of the Billy Corgan yet because it didn't come with a download. So fuck me. I'm sure I will love those albums uh, a month from now few more that I just barely got a chance to check out. Some of my favorite artists here. Blink-182 dropped their ninth album called Nine. I really didn't like the single that I heard. And then my mom, of all people, was like, you got to hear this album. It's actually really good. I borrowed it from her. I thought it was way better than I expected. There's only a couple of songs, like the single and maybe one other that I... I didn't really care for, but overall it was a good album, and I, 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 I do want to pick it up. If you listen to the show, one of my surprise top 10 features from, I think, two years ago was Harry Styles dropped this like kind of great 70s folky singer-songwriter kind of album a couple years ago, and uh, it really surprised the fuck out of me. I, I, I loved it, and... He dropped some new shit. We saw him on SNL. I was like, I don't like this. This is going in a way more poppy direction. And much like the Blink album, they are putting those singles up there to sell the record. And as you dive deeper, my wife was playing it on Spotify when we were in the car. And, you know, it's got uh, quite a bit of good content in the back half. So that's one that I want to check out a little more later. It's called Fine Line. I have not got to check out the new releases from The Refused. It's called War Music. 
much the same. Everything is fine. Henri Osborne under the pseudonym Nigel and Coldplay. I also just found out dropped a new record. So these are all artists that I have listened to for a long, long time. I, I bought so much used music this year with the closing of my hometown record store, Skips Records and CD World. And honestly, this is affecting me already how I buy Christmas gifts for everybody. I would always do it there. I'm, I'm ordering fucking music on Amazon right now. It's driving me crazy. No offense to House of Records. It's just, it's not my style. I've never really felt like, I don't know, part of the gang there. And um, man, it's just, uh, it's fucking me up a little bit. But with the closures of uh, CD World and with Dimple in Sacramento, those are two places that this summer I just dropped a bunch of cash and I got like a few dozen literally a few dozen CDs. And so I, I spent a lot of my record budget this year on um, going out of business sales. Didn't keep up quite as much on the new new, but there's a lot of new new here. Um, another one that I wanted to mention is Chesky, the man who told me that I released too many albums and I should slow down, drop one and then tour on it for a while and, and really you know promote it. He dropped two albums this year. <laughs> and... Uh, much like his advice implied, I got the first one and I hadn't got to the second one yet. So Sad Fat Luck came out and I feel like it's it's really uh, peak performance from him and Factor. They made an incredibly well-produced, but it feels a little to me like overproduced record. I don't know. It's got too many shades of the styles of rap that I don't like, you know, just the auto-tune and beat style and certain things like that that um, really are not my style at all, especially when somebody I, I look for as, as being really grounded and stripped down and anti-mainstream counterculture, you know, it, it always r confuses me when I hear that. And there's a lot of great cuts in the record, but it's not one that I've gone back and played a lot because I feel like, I don't know, those tracks, particularly in the, the first half of the record, kind of throw me off. What I have heard of the second one, I don't know how I'm saying this, Sans Soleil is something like that. That sounds way more the Chesky that I was looking for, a little more like neutral Milk Hotel sort of stripped down indie acoustic rappy lo-fi shit. Like that, that one I, I really do want to check out. Another one that was kind of... Uh, a lo-fi record is Fat Mike from No Effects. He created this character in 2009, Koki the Clown. There's a No Effects EP, and that is one of the songs on it. And he did this whole bit when it came out that he like carried out all these shot glasses to the crowd, and uh, he's like filming himself doing it. And everyone takes a shot, and then he does his little acoustic show, and then at the end they play a video. And it's, oh, it's the beginning of the video from when he came out and gave you those drinks. And it was him peeing in the glasses. And so it was kind of this notorious thing, Koki the Clown. And he dropped his first solo album under that name. Now, I listened to it one time and it was like, you know, I'm a person who dives pretty deep and I go through really vulnerable, emotional stuff in my music. But... um this album reads like a suicide note or something. It was it was probably the saddest, most disturbing thing I have ever heard from someone that I really admire as a songwriter and, and have 
had great influence on me as a musician and um I really just uh, I, I didn't enjoy it at all. I think there's maybe a couple of tracks that uh, did something for me, but overall it was it was like I've I've been worried about this guy for a while, and this only confirmed like God, I I hope you're doing okay. I want you to to have a better life, and I want you to not go away too soon, like we experienced with Tony Sly. You know, Mike's not only been uh, an, an amazing musician and songwriter, but he's been great for. Uh, all the artists that he has uh, mentored and developed with Fat Wreck. I mean, I, I, I think that he's just uh, done amazing things for the punk community, and I, I hate to lose him. And it seems like he's just going through a lot with his addiction. Uh, another one I mentioned last year on my top 10 was a collaborator with my friend Leo London. Her name's Haley Johnson. She's based out of Portland, Oregon. And I really enjoyed her EP and her features that she did on the Leo London EP that dropped last year. And she finally dropped a full-length album. And I don't know what it was about it, but something was missing. It didn't quite hit me in the same way. It didn't have that melancholy, didn't pull the emotions out of me. I think it's technically flawless. It's fantastic. Uh, it's, it's something I'll put on at work. Uh, you know, because it's it's uh, it's music that that won't offend anybody if I'm playing it at the store. And uh, you know, she's an amazing singer, and I don't know, didn't quite hit me the way her EP did. Uh, another singer songwriter, uh, one half of the Swell Season, one of my personal favorites, Glenn Hansard, dropped a kind of offbeat record. It's called "This Wild Willing," and it's a uh, it's a little more of a quiet lo-fi sort of thing. Again, it's one that I'll put on, but um, didn't quite hit me the same way as the Swell Season. And really, both Glenn and Marquetta, I have bought their solo albums after that group. And, um, you know, the magic was the two of them together. They're just, you can't beat the chemistry. I don't know, something about, even though he wrote most of the songs, just them together was the magic thing for me. Sarah Bareilles, another one of my favorite singers, Amidst the Chaos. I picked this up at the CD World going out of business. Uh, this one and the Glenn Hansard CD, actually. And, um, yeah, I, it has all the things, you know. She's she's back to the style I like because she made a really overproduced record uh, that really did great things for her. She had that big single, Brave. But it was not the the great piano singer-songwriter that we had on the first two records, you know. And I got that soundtrack she did for the, the musical Waitress, and I thought that was great. And this one was, you know, kind of back to that stripped-down vibe. But um, I don't know. There was something that just didn't jump out for me. It was kind of like the Brandy Carlisle album last year that just won those Grammys, you know, great for her. But I was confused because, like, she has better records than this. I'm not sure why now this is the one that she's getting the accolades for. I don't know. So those are a few mentions. Uh, a couple more before we get to the top 10, okay? I think we're making pretty good time here. I had a few of these guests on the podcast earlier this year. want to shout out Good Saint Nathaniel. That's Nate Allen of Destroy Nate Allen. He dropped one of his best albums in years. It's called Hide No Truth. Highly recommend that. Iced, that is... Uh, band that I had on the podcast twice this year. Great groovy hardcore shit, great lyrics, great chord changes and, and, and really interesting shit. I really wanted to produce that record, but they found a friend that uh, would, would hook them up with the, uh, a basically free sort of 
you know, handshake deal. And, uh, of course couldn't fault him for that, but I, I really wanted to do it because I knew how good it would be. And it did turn out really, really good. It's on my mentions because it came out on uh, cassette and uh, digital, which doesn't really, it just means I only listen to it a couple times. My iTunes does this thing. I don't know if yours does this thing where if you download music off the internet, sometimes it'll only play like 25 seconds and then it'll skip to the next song. And even if I burn that to a CD, it does the same fucking thing. It's 25 seconds of each song. I don't know how the fuck to get around it. I've looked into it. It is a legitimate glitch in uh, iTunes. If I rip from a CD, it's no problem. But in this case, eh, it kind of fucked me up. So I got a weird version of the iced don't mean shit record. I want to shout out my good friend Webb. He was also, oh God, one of my best episodes on the podcast. If you haven't heard that, check out my episode with Webb Beats, aka Gabe Morley. Uh, We go fucking way back. uh, The Illusionist, we've done like tons of records together. He dropped a a really good instrumental album called Dissociate. I'm actually listening to it right now on my headphones as I go through this list because I I just finally, um, I had listened to it on Bandcamp earlier and I, I wanted to actually download it and put it on while I'm sitting here at the computer. So yeah, if, if a lot of these records, if they came out later in the year or if they didn't make a, a CD format, it's part of the reason they're on my mentions because I just haven't spent as much time with them. Shout out to another podcast guest, Double Dragon, Skeptic and Danny G. I think they really made their best work by a long shot. I think there's a really great sweet spot in the middle of this album. There's like three or four fucking just bangers that all flow really well together. It's the best lyrically. It's the best production. Uh, It's, it's just, uh, it's the best thing they've ever done. And we've toured together a lot and uh, it's been cool to see these guys, uh, you know, really grow into themselves. So shout out to double dragon and their new album macro forms. Uh, One of my very favorite groups in hip hop today is Zarface. That's esoteric seven L and, Inspected Deck from Wu-Tang. And they've been on these lists before. Like, as a trio, they're fucking unbeatable. And they always have great features and everything. But they've been doing these full collab albums. They did one a couple years ago with MF Doom. And I thought it kind of lowered the bar a little bit. Because they were so good coming out the gate that it didn't quite measure up to that. And I feel the same with this Ghostface one. I really love Ghostface. In fact, he dropped an album this year called Ghostface Killers. And... He was charging like fucking $30 on his website for the CD or something like that. It was something fucking stupid. And so I I, I didn't even hear it. I I watched this epic music video he made. and It was fucking fantastic. So I I really want to check out the Ghostface album when I can get my hands on a reasonably priced copy of that CD. But again, the collab record didn't quite do it for me. Like it wasn't quite either of them at their best. It's an enjoyable record. I'll put it on sometimes, but it doesn't hit me like the regular straight-up Zarface records. They also just dropped one that was a vinyl exclusive, I think, on Black Friday. I need to see if I can get my hands on a, a, a the compact disc. I keep saying this in my mentions, but like that's I'm fucking old. I was raised on that shit. That's what I listen to. Shout out to Zarface. Shout out to Ghostface. I'm going to buy both of your solo records as soon as possible. Off with their heads. This is a punk band on Epitaph Records that. They're very much like a singer-songwriter group if you break the songs down. I mean, they don't have flashy guitar playing. They don't have super uh, crazy high-speed tempos or anything like that. You know, they're very much just lyrics and chords. And 
the last album was the first one I heard, and it was profoundly emotional. It hit me at the right time in my life. He talked a lot about depression, anxiety, and man, it was just uh, the right thing at the right time. And this record, I feel like, again, it hits all the right notes. You know, both of the albums have really great production, but the guitars are pushed like excessively loud for some reason. When the guitars are really only playing rhythm chords, I don't quite understand that choice, but like, it's a great vocal album. I talked to my friend and, and previous podcast guest, Joel Weichbrot, about this, and I, I don't know, it was, again, something that just didn't quite rise to the same level. But I think it's a good record, and if you're a fan of the band, uh, I would check it out. I wasn't uh, uh, disappointed that I bought it by any means. I picked it up when I was in Texas a couple months ago uh, at uh, San Antonio Comic-Con, uh, just killing some time at the record store. But uh, yeah, I think it's a good record. It just didn't quite make the top 10. Podcast guest number fucking 15 or whatever from this year, Tsunami Bomb. Man, the last episode we did was Tsunami Bomb with uh, Kate and Dominic, and that was super fun. One of my all-time favorite interviews, I think. That was just a really good time. And I've really warmed up to this this album. You know, I've, I've listened to it a few times just kind of while uh, editing podcasts and working on, on the computer, and um, I ordered a copy from Alternative Tentacles. And, uh, man, it's uh, it's really grown on me. You know, it, it is a different band, but it's still kind of the same band. Like it's still got a lot of the same great shit. So uh, check out the spine that binds. And my last honorable mention is a soundtrack. It's actually the score for the Todd Phillips movie Joker. And I feel a little guilty about this, but I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce the name of the composer, uh, but she did an amazing job. It's something that I like to put on when I'm reading comics or if I'm at work by myself listening to podcasts, you know, um, I, I, I really like it. It's super tense and it kind of reminds me of Johnny Greenwood's There Will Be Blood, Paul Thomas Anderson movie. Amazing, really just unnerving kind of sounds on that record. And that's what this one reminds me of. Uh, my wife got it for me for my birthday, actually. And I was, I was fucking stoked on that. So now we are to the top 10 of the year. Okay. That's pretty good time. So my number 10 best of the year is good riddance, thoughts and prayers. Now this is a blasting room record, which uh, Bill Stevenson was another guest on the show this year. I absolutely love everything that Good Riddance and The Blasting Room have done together. I think that those two entities were just made for each other. This album is no exception. I think it's, it sounds phenomenal. So you, you're getting points from me automatically right there. The only issue I have with this record is that when they came back and they made Peace in Our Time a few years ago, it felt so inspired. It was unexpected and stronger than ever, right? And they come back, and we've got a sequel to it that's a little more poppy. I do like their more aggressive side. However, in the poppy, they're seemingly afraid to take it all the way. You'll have songs that have verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, and then the song will just end. They'll have like a really strong chorus, but they'll 
be afraid to go like to pop and roll into it one last time. You know, the repetition doesn't make it weak. I felt like there's some of these songs that, and there were a couple where, you know, their little bridge rolls to the outro and it works really well. But a lot of times I felt like that was kind of a thing they leaned on where it seemed like almost unfinished ideas. I was a little surprised given like, you know, Bill Stevenson's, uh, you know, very much a, like a, a, a catchy pop kind of, uh, producer and um i think it's got some really great hooks you know it's very much a lyrical album i don't think there's a really as much going on musically than some of the other ones and and maybe maybe that's what i was hearing at first when i was like oh it's not quite peace in our time but it is got all the good classic gr elements but i think it's very much something that needed to be said lyrically you know, this is the kind of record that, you know, like Fat Mike once said, uh, you know, I bought Suffer and then I bought a thesaurus. It's on that Greg Graffin level. Like I had to learn a lot of new words with, when I read the lyrics to this record. So it's well-written. It's timely. It has the greatest title of the year. It's called Thoughts and Prayers. And um, I think that Russ, another great interview on the show this year, I think that Russ had a lot to say on the record. I just felt like maybe something musically or arrangement-wise, was not quite on the level of the previous album. So that's number 10. Number nine, we're going to change genres. All of these are punk and hip-hop from here on in. All of them. So number nine is a recent CD. I think the most recent rap CD that I've got by my friend Elogic, another past guest of the show, and DJ Criminal, who I have not met. But they are a really good pairing. The record's called A Change in Mantra, and it harkens back to one of my favorite Blueprint songs that Elogic's featured on. It's called Pain. This is from the Blueprint Who EP, and it was one of the first tracks that I owned with Elogic on it because I had like him on Aesop Rock, I had him on Blueprint, a couple random features before I actually bought his music. And... Man, that song boiled it down to one basic line that summed it all up and said, can't see the sun unless you sit through the rain. Most great art can't exist without pain. I feel like this record kind of explores that a lot. It's a very grown-up record talking about sacrifice and perspective and the choices we make in our lives. And I don't know, Logic has always been a, a really great lyricist, the kind of guy you got to rewind to catch all the layers in his verses. And on this one, I mean, he's even got a song where he's like double time rapping on some like gospel shit. And it's fucking great. You know, like everything that's said on this record really just makes me care about it. There's a lot of love and a lot of intent. And with some of the records that he's made in recent years, they've gone off in different styles, like the one he did with my friend Intellectual. They did some really kind of atmospheric stuff, and then he did the Lucid Logic record that was uh, a little more melodic. And this one is very much just stripped down, boom bap. It's a short record. It's like 
20, 25 minutes, something like that, eight songs. And I think it's kind of the perfect length. It's the kind of thing you want to put on again right when it's over. And I get a lot out of this. And, and it's it's the right time in my life, in my mid-30s now, uh, to to really enjoy a record like this and, and the messages in it. I think it's, it's very well done, highly recommended. Number eight, this is a fat wreck band from Australia, I believe. And I'd never heard of them before. Strangely enough, came out back to back with Koki the Clown. This band is called Clowns. And the record is called Nature Nurture. That's nature slash nurture. And I don't quite know how to describe this band. Their major key sort of hardcore, but sort of catchy punk. And I don't mean they switch off necessarily, but the guy's got this high register, like a Perry Farrell, Jane's Addiction sort of thing, but like aggressive. And they're using a key and a tempo that you don't hear a lot, particularly in, in fat bands. They've also got a, a, a great female voice that pops in and out here and there. They're just really good songwriters. They made a really unique sounding album. And I've played the shit out of it, really. I, I think they have really great subversive lyrics. You know, you've got your classic no effects, dirty fuck song lyrics. You've got all kinds of stuff. I mean, the first song that I heard was the single called Prick. You know, the great line like, you still use the fucking F word. You know, we're talking about people who got like a swastika tattoo as a joke, you know, or I mean, they just had a lot of great observations kind of about punk culture and sometimes the bands themselves in some of these songs. You know, I, I really liked it on all levels. I think the production's good. The songwriting is clever and interesting. It bounces around um, a lot. Like you, each song, you kind of never know which way it's going to hit you, uh, you know, different styles and tempos, kind of like Pairs, I guess, but, but Pairs was much more of like shift to hardcore, shift to pop punk. And this one is just kind of all blended up together. It's a fun record. It might be a challenging record, I guess, if you're not open to it, but, uh, fuck, I, I thought it was really good. Uh, next up from this, I have really had a hard time choosing the order on some of these. I'm going to say that my number seven is Carnage the Executioner, Ravenous. And I had an early version of this last year on my honorable mentions. And I got the final version that's out now. He pressed it on CD and he did it right with the spine and the whole packaging. Because what I was saying to him is, you know, I, I pick up like 10 CDs in the morning. I throw them in my bag and I take them with me to work or I put them you know, on a road trip or whatever, bring them in the van. I was like, if, if your CD doesn't have a spine on it and it's just some little piece of shit sleeve, I'm never going to see it on my shelf when I'm choosing my music. And so you might as well have not even bought it if you're not going to listen to it. You know, that's what happens to me a lot with these cheap CDs. And, and sad to say, I bet I listen a lot to this Logic CD I was just talking about, but... I gotta, I gotta say, not only is it one of those little sleeves, but it's fucking backwards. So, like, when the cover is facing you, the disc comes out the fucking left side like they did it backwards. So, I bet that is gonna get lost in the stack, and I'm gonna listen to it less the further I get from release date. Whereas this Carnage one, now that I have the proper version on the shelf, it's one that I've 
gone back to quite a bit. And man, this record, again, something I've heard since conversations that inspired lyrics or phone calls where he would rap certain lines to me and we would discuss the topics and, and how the record evolved. I really was privy to a lot of that behind the scenes. And so to get the finished product is great. And I think that given the things we've gone through together on tour and in the studio and and we just have this this great kinship you know he's really one of my greatest friends i've ever met through music you know he's such a, a genuine person and and these songs capture and not in a woe is me sort of way but in a relatable way what it's like the excitement and the disappointment and highs and lows of being an independent artist and you know as a label mate as a tour mate I really feel like he's speaking for me. He's speaking for all of us on this album. And, you know, it's it's his best produced record. It's his best writing. It's really just a, a, a great, again, I'll use the word evolution, as a songwriter. Because, you know, he's been killing it on stage for decades. But in terms of putting out albums, that's been um, something in the more in the second half of his career in in each one, he's really just shown how he can take a concept and not make it feel like a gimmick, you know, and not belabor the point and not make so many of these mistakes that a lot of rappers do when they feel like they are making a concept record or if they, if they got a, a message to put in the song, you know. He does it in a fun way and he does it in a very, very clear and concise way. When he's wordy, he will then break it down in a way that's easy to understand, or he'll make you laugh at a punchline or something like that. And so I just really think Ravenous is uh, kind of an iconic piece of work in this scene, in this genre that I feel like I'm a part of in the underground. So check out Ravenous. I'm going to transition back into punk here. This is number six. Another epitaph, Burning Heart Band, that I've listened to since middle school. This is Millencolin. Millencolin is a European punk band who makes, essentially, the last few records have been very much sort of bad religion style. And I think they have amazing production, great lyrics, great riffs. The guitar tone on this album is... I mean, I was jealous. It's that good. Their True Brew album that came out maybe three or four years back was kind of mind-blowing because I, I didn't... You don't expect a band you've been listening to for almost 20 years to still be that good, if not better than they were back on their classics. And that's what True Brew really was for me. And, and this record is close to that level, if not the same. You know, there's not one skippable moment on the whole album. I think it's just uh, classic skate punk, front to back, timely lyrics, and, and, and excellent production. I, I don't have anything more to say than that is a record I have put on over and over again. I have not started to get tired of at all. I'll pair with that. Bad Religion, 
uh, of course, the uh, founders of Epitaph Records, they dropped Age of Unreason, and I've got them as my number five because even though this is an album that is imperfect, it's still a bad religion record, and I think that Mill and Colin essentially making a bad religion record is awesome, but the real bad religion. You can't fuck with the man. Like I, I, I went to see the Punk and Drublick Festival this summer because it was No Effects and Bad Religion together, and then they announced No Effects was going to play The Decline live, and I'm like, holy shit! It's 20th anniversary. We had Ryan Green on the show earlier. We were talking about it and what that record means to me. I've covered it the whole fucking you know 18 minutes. I did a 15 minute acoustic cover of it many times and bad religion was so good that no effects was playing i was like unmoved i was like this seems so kind of bad by comparison it was like it was fun but god damn it bad religion is tight and they're so good this new record it's their first without brooks wackerman and so you lose a little bit of that crazy drumming that they've had since process of belief but you know new guy holds his own it's also the first record without greg hetson it's a strong record front to back they went all lennon mccartney on it so i can't really tell what brett wrote and what greg wrote in terms of uh song to song there's a track on here that i'm forgetting the name but it's super fast and relentless and it kind of reminded me of track listen from the last pennywise album it's like we get a really good album that's kind of captures the whole vibe of the band it's got little bits of every record right and then they got this one blistering fast like melodic hardcore kind of song that got me super pumped you know and then back to your regularly scheduled program and i uh, there's a song on this i think it's track nine Jay Bentley is just fucking shredding on the bass. I wish there was a little more of that. It reminded me of sort of the Bad Religion on New Maps of Hell. It's like a little more aggressive, a little faster. I really like that. What I didn't like, you know, don't lose your head before you lose your head, yeah. I mean, that, that just was not the most inspired moment. The first song we heard from this record didn't make the cut. It was called The Kids Are Alt-Right. And I was like, all right, that's a funny title. Let's click on it. Oh, this is not a good song. It sounds like a reject from the New America sessions or something. And all the comments, nobody liked this song, right? And so I get the deluxe CD of this album. I put it on, and the last song is over. And then on the same track, that fucking song comes on. I'm like, God damn it. But then there's an actual bonus song that's on its own track next. I've never seen an album do this where they have a secret hidden track built in. And then there's another track after it. And in this case, it's a very good song that comes after it. And so I got to like watch the CD. And when the last song is ending, I got to skip to the final track. So I don't have to hear that fucking kids are all right uh, song. It was just kind of like uh, boring three chord. Like clearly this was just for the lyrics 
we put no effort into this music. <laughs> but overall, I think it's good, and I think that it it has elements of, of all of their stuff. I mean, it's got the early days. It's got the Atlantic sounds. It's got the Brooks current era. You know, it's got uh, all the bad religion stuff. It's a little weird that there's, to me, slightly less vocal in the mix, but this is their first record without Joe Barisi behind the boards in a long time. And I'm curious as if that has anything to do with Brooks leaving the band because Joe Barisi did work with Avenged Sevenfold, I believe, on Brooks's first album with them right after we left Bad Religion. So I'm not sure if there's some bad blood or just schedules didn't line up or what. But uh, yeah, different producer on this one. And it still sounds very good but not quite best bad religion, in my opinion. Number four is another Epitaph Records band. And I think they're on rise these days, but um, man, this is a flawless fucking album. Okay, The Bouncing Souls from New Jersey. Oh my God. They just celebrated their 30th anniversary this year. And to celebrate, they put out this EP called Crucial Moments. It's as youthful and energetic as they've ever been. They, they're, they're that fun band, you know, in every single full length. They seem to never age at all. And, man, this is, is right on the heels of Simplicity. I think it came out 2016. One of their best LPs ever. And this is right in line with that. So if, if you were a fan at all of that catchy, sing-along skate punk, it's a little more mid-tempo than, say, Bad Religion and Mill and Colin. But uh, they got some fast shit in there, too, like the song 1989. I believe that was the year that they were founded as a band. You know, uh, that's a great place to start if you want to look up this record. Check out Bouncing Souls 1989 and then get the album crucial moments. Again, it's an EP, so kind of like Logic and DJ Criminal, you know, it's a short listen, but fuck, it's really good. Really, really good. Moving on to number three, more podcast guests. Oh my God. This has been a great year for the show. I got to say, I'm getting so many of my favorite musicians on here. Like I'm not fucking pandering to these people. These are actually the shit that I'm listening to the most. And number three is Epic Beardmen. Sage Francis and B. Dolan. It's called This Was Supposed to Be Fun. If you listen, we had an incredibly weird interview where uh, Sage got really bored and started making uh, threats to a friend of mine. Yeah, it was a good time. But their EP, season one, that came out uh, last year, I got to play with them. That was a really great time. It was a really good EP. They took it to another level with the full length. For all these albums that we talked about, and as much as I like them, this is the kind of beat that I like in hip-hop, okay? They have that classic boom-bap style. B. Dolan was telling me that Alias R.I.P. gave him a lot of drums when they work together, a lot of drum samples. And so even though Alias passed away, a lot of the stuff that he made, that B. Dolan made in the beats for this record, had 
Genesis in Alias's work. And so you're kind of seeing that through line. You're hearing that timeless boom bap production, that Anticon shit. And these guys just having a blast together. I think that they do some off-the-wall crazy weird shit at times. And sometimes, like, you, you can't tell me shit. It's just fucking one long joke song. Some days I'll be in the mood for that song and other days I'm not. But, like, there's other times where it always hits, like, shin splints, man. Like, that song is so impressive to me, the way, the way that they just wove these different tempos together and this whole story and the way they trade off of each other and, and the phone calls and everything. Like, it's just so well produced, so well written. And a couple of the tracks in the middle of this album are so funky. Like, um, even the song where they're joking around about some A&R, wanting them to be a boy band. Like, it's got these, like, metal guitar samples, but the drums are so fucking funky like that goes a long way for me and i've loved these guys rapping for years and fucking years so i get a smile on my face just hearing them together but add to that the awesome production on this record and and the fact that they're you know it's called this was supposed to be fun which you could read in a couple different ways but i really have fun listening to these guys it kind of just puts a smile on my face so that is my number three it's the epic beard men All right, top two, getting close. You guys ready? This one you might not like. I don't think this is a popular artist in 2019, but hey, you're listening to my show. We probably have similar tastes. Okay, number two, this is a a pop punk band that I've loved forever. I continue to be impressed by their resilience and how they continue to get better. Some 41. Ah, you're so pissed. Why the fuck am I listening to this guy? Oh, he's talking about some 41 in his top two. Jesus Christ. I thought this guy's a fucking MC. Sorry, man. I like what I like. And this record is so good. The last one I thought was a great comeback. 13 voices. Derek Wibley, the singer, almost died. And he wrote this really great comeback album you know it was a self-produced album it was released on hopeless it was one of the best things that they had ever done and this new one i'm so impressed he not only produced and engineered this album but he mixed the fucking thing himself okay that's some shit i do here in my house right but for this guy to do that and make it sound as good or better than the records he had mixed by Chris Lord Algy or Tom Lord Algy, these guys that are fucking gods of studio work. Andy Wallace. These are some of the guys that worked on old Sum 41 records. If you listen to the new one, put it up against any of that shit. Derek did that. That's fucking crazy to me. And so I know I've talked a lot about production, but hey, this is a fucking music geek podcast. Take 92 is my studio. Okay, this is Take 92 Podcast. God damn it. I love the sounds on these records. This Sum 41 album, it comes out swinging. It's got great guitar work. Brown Sound's been back in the mix for uh, two albums now. And I, I 
take it he was more involved on this one. I think he jumped in last minute as the other one was being recorded. But great fucking epic soaring leads. These, you know, great master of puppet style, like guitar bridge sections. Um, almost got some Avenged Sevenfold Iron Maiden sort of shredding going on. I, I just, I, I love when this band gets pissed and when they get metal. And that's mostly what this is. Like, there's a, there's a couple tracks in here that are very thrashy, and that is my favorite shit. Like, to me, thrash uh, metal has a lot of vocals that I just don't like. And so I like when punk bands do thrashy shit, like fucking propaganda or something, because I like their voices and I like those guitar parts. So this is all my favorite shit. I will also admit that when they put out the, the single... For that song that was um, dedicated to uh, his 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 mom uh, raising him as a single parent, I watched the video for that, and I reposted. I said, "Wow, I did not expect that a Sum 41 song could make me cry, especially at this age." Um, but it was such a heartfelt tribute in this kind of thrashy, high energy record to drop a ballad like that and have it be so poignant. And with what I've gone through in the last few years. You know, if you've heard my Daydream album, you know, I've, I've gone through a lot in understanding where I came from and the sacrifices made to give me this kind of life. And so that, that really, that really hit me. And I think it's a really, really good record. And if you're at all from that era and that part of yourself is still alive, I think that uh, this will hold up next to any of those old classics. I really do. Okay. Are we ready? Speaking of sacrifice, my number one is superstition sacrifice. That's probably no surprise. If you've listened to this podcast and you caught that episode, I was fucking gushing about how much I love this record. It's short. It's to the point. It's grown-up content, but it's full of fucking great lyrics. It's not always punchlines, but wordplay, and it's the kind of shit that really gets the gears turning in my head, you know? And this year, I took a huge step back. I focused on this podcast. I started another podcast, you know, and I go to work. I go to work every day. You know how many rap shows I played this year? Three. I played with Ender One. I played with Gift the Gab and... Fuck, I'm forgetting the other one now. I only played three shows and I'm forgetting the other one. So I've barely performed at all this year, right? And this is the record that gets my brain going again, latching on to words and coming up with lines and patterns. Like, there's so much here. It's fucking gold. This is also a self-produced record. These top three, all of these guys are producing their own shit and that's so important to me that's so valuable because you're getting one artist's vision from start to finish and this ep is so good again right where i'm at in my life this says that everything that i want to be hearing this is a guy who drops this instant classic record and will not go on tour for it because at his, this point in his life, he's expressing himself, but he's committing his time and his energy to his family. 
And that's where I'm at. And so this says all the right things. It says them in all the right ways. Much like I said about Ravenous from Carnage, it's saying all this serious shit, but it's packaging it in an engaging and fun way. I still really, really have a good time listening to it, even though it's on serious subjects. Actually, I was, I was joking that he let Blueprint sequence the album and Blueprint put his own feature at the end of the album. So like the album ends with Blueprint saying the last words. And I was joking about how that's funny. And then I remembered on my album, Figures of Speech, I let Illogic have the last word. I guess off the top of my head, I didn't even think of a Chesky record. He let Sage Francis have the last word in his record. So maybe it's not that weird, but I guess those guys didn't sequence the record. So hence my original point. I digress. That is a good fucking record. If you're a fan of hip hop, if you're a fan of boom bap, if you're a fan of lyrics, or if you just want to hear some fucking like real life grown up shit and no posturing and no bullshit, just like let's talk about who we really are. No front. And I think that he's done a great job about being vulnerable while still displaying skill and just just made for a, a really enjoyable album. So that's my number one. But I have to confess to you, if you listen this long, you're invested in this show, and I appreciate you, I have to come clean. Last year, I made my episode for the end of the year list. And what I did not tell you was the truth. This is going to sound bad, probably. I hope you get where I'm coming from. But my actual favorite album of 2018 was mine. That's fucked up, right? But if you think about it, I made something that I wanted to hear. It had all my favorite artists featured on it. It had all the kinds of beats that I wanted to hear. Everything was literally hand-picked for my taste. And so I actually bumped that record. I like it a lot. And this year, I wanted to acknowledge that what probably means the most to me, though, uh, uh, all these great records I've talked about is Peril by Dead Fucking Serious. I put this album out this summer. You know, in a lifetime of work, in 20 plus years of playing punk music, this to me is, is the crowning achievement. And again, it has all the things that I love. It's short, aggressive songs, interesting arrangements, it's mixed and mastered by the blasting room, so it has the sounds that I like. You know, I went down to the fucking tubes that I chose. I mean, every little thing. The fact that we recorded this shit live as a band and cranked out song, 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 and then we would stop. That shit isn't edited together. We fucking did that shit, man. Like, we recorded over and over and over and over and over, song, 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 as medleys, you know? And, and I, like, that's fucking cool, okay? There's not a lot of records that get made like that. And I did it because that was exciting to me. And as 
a creator of music, I'm still just pleasing myself, the fan of music. So if I got to let you in on the real me, like I said, superstition, being honest and no front. If I'm to say I have no front, then I am proud to say that this year I have peril. Last year I had figures of speech. And if you go back, I've been able to, in the last few years, daydream, go back another year, rare form, all go in my own personal top five that I've made over the course of my life. And that's so special to me. And so I am here as a fan. I do these every year because I'm such a huge fan of music and I love buying new music and I love following the careers of these artists over the years. I like that about my own body of work too. I like trying to top myself and I get excited when I do. So you guys might think I'm fucking crazy or I'm Kanye narcissistic, but I make the music I want to listen to. And God damn it, I hope you guys do too. I really do. I have created less lately as I do more podcasts and putting more hours at the store. But it makes me appreciate the things that I have put out even more. Felt good picking up a guitar and doing all those cover songs lately. And I wrote that one for my grandpa who died. You know, as we get to the end of this year, I look back. I lost my grandpa. We lost Dustin Wheeler uh, from 800 Octane. You know, I, I lost my dog at the beginning of this year. And we've had losses. I sort of lost a couple of long-time close friendships, I think, too. But had this great run with so many good guests this year on the podcast. Had this great album, Peril, that I was able to put out. Got to collaborate with Winston Smith again on the album cover. It's probably my favorite album cover in my entire catalog. Got to work with Jason Livermore at the Blasting Room on a mix and master. I've always wanted to do that. Bucket list shit. So great. Started another podcast, the Bat Fanatic Podcast, you know. So as I'm making this list, I'm thinking back on this year. The people we've lost, the friendships where we've diverged paths and gone our separate ways, you know. I look at the good things. Always there will be music. I just came from Star Wars, Rise of Skywalker. I've been so beaten down and exhausted, if you will, doing six days a week, doing these crazy shifts, million fucking customers, a shipping store at Christmas time. Get the fuck out of here. I didn't think I was going to be able to do this episode, but I went to see Star Wars, and oh my God, it excited me, it inspired me, it made me cry like three or four times, and I came home, here it is, it's two in the morning, I got to work tomorrow, doing a six-day week, and yet it made me feel good enough that I wanted to sit down and do this episode right now, so just wanted to share a little bit of the things that excited me about this year as we reflect on it. I will leave you with a track from Peril. This is by Dead Fucking Serious. I hope that you guys are spinning this. I hope this is on your personal lists. And thank you to everybody who is on this list tonight because you guys give me the fuel to create, man. I just, uh, 
I love it. I hope that I never stop having that hunger, that wonder, that inquisitive feeling as a fan. As oh, so and so's got a new record. I wonder what that's like. I look forward to getting my pre-order from Billy Corgan and Brother Ali, so I can see what the next chapter is like.